I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia is going to be presenting the findings of an article for us. Um, could you yes. tell us a little bit about what your article is about today? Yeah. So it's about what's called reduced load work, which is basically a shortened, almost like part-time work, but it's like a flexible, customized type of part-time work, um, and how it can relate to wellness. And it's a pretty cool article that just kind of walks through some three key stages to get yourself into this type of situation if it would help your balance and your career goals. So I'll talk about what it is a little bit more. Um, but before that, how are things going with you? Everything is good. Um, hanging in there, trying to uh, make the work week as productive as possible, but also um, trying to balance a bunch of life stuff. So this is actually a very helpful article um, <laughs> at the current time. But um, yeah, everything is going pretty nicely. The weather here has been like pretty crappy. Um so actually that in some ways it's bad because you don't want to leave your house as much. But in other ways, it's like kind of good because you can hone in and focus and get more stuff done because uh, there's less distractions. Um, mm -hmm. So that part's nice. Um, and I feel like I'm actually pretty happy because I don't want to like speak too soon. But it feels that we have like more or less avoided um, being here when it's been super cold. Um, so hmm. the times that it's been super cold in DC, I've been traveling. And so I feel like I've just kind of like missed, missed winter. And now I feel like we're kind of on the tail end of it, right? Like there's only Hopefully. a few. That's what I'm thinking. So anyway, I'm feeling like fairly optimistic about that because usually I dread <laughs> winter. And this winter, I feel like I've just been like, oh, winter's fine. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. Yes. 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 So, um, yes, it has been lovely or more lovely than usual. Um, nice. Yeah. And that's about it. What's going on with you and in, in your life? Oh, my life. Um, <laughs> things are good. I feel the same as you. I feel like I've got a lot to do this week. So... I'm trying to focus in and get as much of it done the beginning of the week as I can so that I have, um, I don't know, so I can kind of relax more at the end of the week. And it's, um, I don't, I just, I just like to get mo more done at the beginning of the week and then like follow up stuff at the end of the week. So I'm really right. trying to hunker down Monday through Wednesday as much as I can. And I just feel like there's a lot going on. So trying to manage that while still fitting in time for myself as we always talk about um yeah so like today we uh Dan and I went to the gym during lunch because I just happened to have a big gap from meetings so that was like really nice to, to awesome. do that so we're trying to like I'm still trying to like think of how can I schedule in the things that I want to do um in addition to all the things that I need to do um so it's been it's been a work week in progress <laughs> well good I mean and you're also getting into new like routines because you moved and stuff like that so mm -hmm. it always takes a little while to get set up like what's my new routine where are my new places yeah where do I go like all that kind of stuff yeah definitely I will say that the gym that so we're we have LA fitness memberships and um the one here is so much nicer than the oh, one yay. that we had before. So that is really cool. Um, it has a lot more equipment, a lot newer equipment. So it's actually been really fun. 
That's um, awesome. Because there's just a lot to do. And they have a nice indoor pool, which I oh, know nice. we're in California. So like most of the time it's fine to swim outside, but it's, you know, winter now and I'm yeah. cold. So it's, it's nice to have the indoor pool piece too. And an indoor basketball court. The last place we had was an outdoor basketball court, which is like, again, either too cold or sometimes when it gets really warm, then I, it's not like I play basketball all the time, but Danny likes to play basketball a lot. So it yeah. matters to him. So, um, so anyways, it's, it's a nice gym that we're adjusting to and I'm trying to Yay. adjust to that schedule. Like you said, um, at, with my work at home and managing the new place and how long it gets, takes to get places and all that kind of stuff, but it's going well. That is awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, I thought of something else that I did that was exciting this weekend that I forgot to tell you. Ooh, um, I went to dinner. Uh, Brendan and I went to dinner with um, Jess and Jared, who are um, Jess, you know, from grad school. They're like yeah. friends of ours from grad school. And um, we went to this uh, Vietnamese restaurant and Yum. they have vegan shrimp. So what? It's like, so you got to eat shrimp? Yeah. And so I ordered <laughs> vegan shrimp and it tastes just like shrimp and it feels just like shrimp. And it felt really weird that I was eating it because I felt it felt like I shouldn't be allowed, but I was and I did. Yeah. I was so happy. That's exciting. So for everyone listening, Katina has a shellfish allergy. So yes. shrimp is usually off limits. And shrimp was like one of her favorite things ever before it, it was. happened. I know. When we used to have Project Runway parties, I always had a bowl of terrible shrimp that yeah. I bought with <laughs> like my like shrimp. terrible <laughs> grad school budget but it was like the only shrimp we were basically eating I mean I don't really think we were like having that much fancy shrimp um but yes <laughs> and I used to always eat it and whatever and so anyway this place has fake shrimp and it tastes like real shrimp and I was so happy I mean to me it tastes like real shrimp like I don't know for people that were like are used to eating real shrimp on the regular would feel that way but to Mm -hmm. me it was so anyway it made me really happy in my soul because and it also felt weird I was like am I allowed to eat this like I was like all like ooh, you're like am I gonna (laughs) need that EpiPen or (laughs) I know I felt like I was living on the edge so anyway (laughs) I was very excited so that is exciting I felt that I needed to share that because um, my family came to visit this weekend and that was also super nice for my birthday. And so I had a lot of fun um, with their visit, showing them around um, D.C. a little bit more. Um, But also I was just really, really happy to eat fake shrimp. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you found it. Now you know where to go back if you want some shrimp. If you have a shrimp craving. I know. know. Yum. I well, that sounds fun. I love you. Vietnamese food too. So that's awesome. I know. I know. It's a good place. Actually, the next time that you come back, we should go there. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. I would love to try your fake shrimp. Yes, you could try my <laughs> fake shrimp and you could even get yourself some real shrimp because not everyone is in the same shrimp scenario that I am. Well, yes, I could also get real <laughs> shrimp, but I might as well try vegan shrimp. I'm a totally sh- down with that. Sounds a yummy. shrimp scenario. Um, yes, that would be awesome awesome um but yeah and then other than that I feel like both of us have just been hard at work trying to promote our retreat retreat Um, I know I'm so excited uh but yeah we've been doing a lot to try to get that moving we've gotten some sponsors for our swag bag which is awesome um we have some power hour guests coming that we've lined up now so 
lots of exciting things to announce and all that's on our website um, and on our social media if you're interested. So yeah, we've been working really hard on the retreat. That's been taking up a lot of time, but it's all fun time. So it's, yeah, I agree. Like there's a lot of work going on. We've been talking a lot about work, but a lot of it is things that we really like. So it's not so bad. Yeah, I agree. Um, There's a lot going on that's really fun. And we are just so excited about all the additions to the retreat that we've been able to make and great sponsors, which has been awesome. So um, there's just so much that we're going to be revealing that I think it's just going to be super exciting. So I am pumped about it for sure. I'll have to put in the show notes because we're going to be one of the sponsors is Fluid Stance. And we um, interviewed the... CEO of Fluid Stance back way back when. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna link to that because I thought that was a really cool interview. And then also Karen Liebner from Finding Your Mantra is gonna be one of our power hour guests and we also talked to her. So might as well link up to those sessions or those yeah. podcast episodes. We definitely should. That's absolutely accurate. Um we should definitely do that. Yeah, it's so fun. So I'm just really excited for the whole thing. Um, Me too. And I hope that we'll see some people who are listening right now there because I do think it'll be super beneficial. And I just love like getting ready for something like this when you're you know that you have such like fun content to share. And then also Mm -hmm. you're just anticipating what a good environment will be, good energy, people getting a lot out of it. Um, I feel like at the end of these things, you're always like at the beginning, you're always like wondering what the group's going to be like and how it's going to go. And then at the end, you're like, this was amazing. And everyone's happy and like takes away all these really good things and everyone's so energized. So like, I'm just also really excited for that. Um, Mm. and for us to put that energy into the world and also get it back from the people who are there. So I'm just really excited to see how it all turns out and who ends up being present because, um, I just know whoever it is, it's going to bring a great energy to the group. Yes, I'm excited to meet everybody too. I think that's always the fun part is getting to know people and where they're coming from and what their struggles are, what their wins are, what advice they have. I mean, I'm sure we're going to learn a lot from people in addition to sharing the content that we have. So I cannot wait. Me too. It will be awesome. Um, But in the meantime, in order for us to be able to take time to improve ourselves more easily. We have to have job structures that support those things. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your article and kick us off about um, restructuring work. Yes. Okay. So let me first tell you what the article is called and all those good details. So the article comes from the Journal of Vocational Behavior. It's called Desperately Seeking Sustainable Careers. Redesigning Professional Jobs for the Collaborative Crafting of Reduced Load Work. It was published in 2019 by Kosek and Olier Malatere, which I probably butchered that name, but great article, great researchers. Um, So this article was talking about reduced load work, as I mentioned. So let me define that first, and then we can kind of talk about the main takeaways, because I think... um, Overall, it's pretty straightforward. They've really done a good job in this article of summarizing um, three different stages of reduced load work and how to get that implemented. So uh, there's some very, very key takeaways and straightforward takeaways that we can talk about. And the thing that's really great is you can, like I said, you can dive into the article that we'll link to, of course, um, to go in and see these stages in more detail if you're interested. Uh, This article is one of the 
open access articles in this journal. So everyone can actually go look at it, which is really fun. Yay. That is Yay. awesome. I love that. Yeah. Love it when our stuff's not behind a paywall. Agreed. So reduce load work. That is, they define it as a flexible, customized form of part-time work in which a full-time job is redesigned to reduce the hours and the workload while taking a pay cut. So basically, it's it's not just like part-time hourly work, right? So it's not, um, I am a barista at Starbucks and instead of being full-time, I'm part-time. It is cutting down a traditional full-time job redesigning a traditional full-time job into this part-time reduced load work. Um, It's basically taking a salaried position and making it Mm part-time. So if you think about it, that, you know, there's a lot of office jobs, for example, right? Where people are sitting in their offices doing whatever, marketing jobs, HR jobs, finance, what what have you, that are typically um, full-time and traditionally full-time, 40 hours a week or so. But we don't often see people in those types of roles in a part-time capacity or mm-hmm. a reduced load capacity, as this would be discussed here. So that it's kind of trying to create this type of job where you have some reduced hours. Um, you're taking a pay cut, but that allows you to work however makes sense for you in your current position in life, whether that has to do with taking care of kids or taking care of sick family members, or maybe just for whatever reason, you don't want to work full time um, while still progressing your career. So that's a critical piece of it. It's about giving you the opportunity to continue the type of work that you're doing in your career trajectory um, while not working a full time job. Mm hmm. Yeah. So it's more like companies that are starting to think creatively about how to craft jobs that actually make sense for people that may not want to at this point in time be working full time, but who would still be really good fit for the job and would add a lot of value. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So they talk about different types of ways to do that. So I can talk about some of the restructuring that's done. Um, And then those three stages that I talked about. So first of all, reducing the workload, doing this type of restructuring of a job to help people when they need it can really help when people are dealing with things like the potential of opting out of the workforce. So for example, maybe childcare is extremely expensive and it doesn't make sense for one one parent to work, maybe you know, both parents to work, maybe one person needs to stay home because of that cost. Um, so this is a way to help people not opt out of the workforce for whatever circumstances they might be in. It helps them maybe stay in the workforce, stay in their career to some extent um, while they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with or the balance that they need. So these types of approaches and creating this type of work support sustainable careers. It helps people improve their well-being. It helps their work-life balance. It helps their family satisfaction. And at the same time, it helps people feel good about their career success because it's not like... Um, people just don't feel like they're moving from maybe a high powered salary job to something that's maybe more entry level or, or hourly, um, just because they can't do the full number of hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that this is a really awesome idea because basically I think what a lot of companies are doing is that there's either this like 
right or wrong. This is the way things are or it can't happen. And I think people more and more are starting to think flexibly around, well, just because this is the way that we've always done things doesn't mean that it has to be sacred, right? Like we can start to question, okay, is it actually necessary for the person in this position to be one person who's here for 40 hours? Or could it be two people who are here for 20 hours each? Or could it be, you know, that actually this position doesn't require all the hours that we thought it did all the time? And maybe there's a way to actually reduce the workload for the position and have someone else take on or split up some of those responsibilities because it would help advance their career. Like um, there are lots of different ways I think that people are starting to think about jobs. And I'm encouraged that companies might be open-minded or more open-minded to the idea that just because, you know, this is the way this position has always been structured doesn't mean that it's the best way or that it always has to be structured that way. Um, And I think that that like line of thinking is helping companies to be more innovative, honestly, um, Mm -hmm. and moving forward. Yeah, I think that there's definitely um, a light in this situation, right? We are seeing more companies that are considering redesigns of jobs. Um, That being said, this study really looked at 20 companies. It's a qualitative study that looked at 20 companies within the U.S. and Canada that are Mm -hmm. early adopters of this. In Europe, Mm -hmm. this is way, way, way more popular, way more common. Mm -hmm. Um, So the U.S. and Canada are a little bit more behind the yeah. you know the European countries and I wouldn't say it's common in the US but it's definitely something that more and more companies are becoming a little more open to and so we'll talk about some of those tactics as to how to get that going but some of the main re- ways that people create those jobs um, are things that you talked about so I did want to talk about that a little bit you know there's job sharing which you mentioned where you can have two people share a job the most often um way it's the most common way it's done is having two people share a job where they both work three days a week and they have one day of overlap. So like, let's say I work Monday through Wednesday and then the next person works Wednesday through Thursday, or maybe we alternate days, but we have one day where we overlap so we can make sure we're on the same page for everything. Mm. Um, so that's kind of an interesting approach, but yeah, so that's, that would be called a job share, which is actually, I think the tactic that is getting the most media press right now media coverage um, is job sharing. I have seen some articles out there about job sharing specifically. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. And actually, speaking of that, one of our other interviewees, um, Maggie Moore, she spoke about her experience with um, postpartum, if if the listeners remember, but that was part of her conversation was about how she's kind of gone back to the workforce and she has a job share actually. So we do Mm -hmm. have an example in our, in our own network. Um, so yes, job sharing is one way, uh, other things people do are the easiest thing to do is to kind of reduce the scope. So if you're a project based or client based type of job is just to reduce the number of clients or projects. So let's say, you know, my job, people have between 30 and to 40 clients at Infor, um, maybe someone that wants to go part-time would only get 25 or 20 clients, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So making sure you can reduce those number of clients or projects to help reduce that job. Um, it could be like the four-day work week we talked about, right? You could just shorten the number of days somebody works um, without really changing the job. It's just that they're out three days a week. The other things are um, they have these, they have like one, tr- one, one, tactic that they talked about was bending the rules which I thought was really funny but it's basically 
when a manager just tries to help keep it under the radar that this is happening, where they let high potential employees to like really high performers make some sort of weird creative schedule for themselves um, because Mm -hmm. they just want to keep them because they're so good. So that's Mm. kind of an interesting one. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you can, I think that like a main thread of this is that you're able to work with people and kind of let them figure out what works. You're able to retain people who are good performers, but you're also just thinking more creatively about, um, you know, okay, I, I see companies having these kinds of conversations sometimes as students grappling with this, like, you know, well, we've always done it this way. Um, you know, this job's always been 40 hours or it's always been one person or whatever the case may be. And you just kind of get stuck in the idea like, oh, I have this really great performer and they would benefit from a different type of schedule. And in my mind, the only thing that has to change is either that person can adapt to my schedule or they can go. And that's such like a binary way of looking at solutions. Like, right. um, yeah, like either you either you adapt to how things have always been done here or you can go find someplace else. But the idea that we can work together to provide a solution that actually coalesces with what you're interested in doing and actually benefits us because, A, we don't have to train a new person or find a new person once you're there, right? So if you're someone who was working in a regular schedule and then you go into a reduced workload, it helps so much because you have all this knowledge and skills that somebody who's brand new won't have and you don't have to go through the recruitment process and the hiring person and um, and the hiring process and try to figure out if that person's a good fit. Like you have all of those processes like taken care of already. Um, And if it's somebody that you're hiring into a reduced workload position, you're also doing something good societally because you're giving opportunity to a population of people who may otherwise be overlooked. And that might give you access to a talent pool that your competitors are missing on because they're just not in tune with the idea that there could be changes to the way that work has traditionally been done and that that might be just as effective in the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think you're able to retain some really good talent and good knowledge and like you said, attract different people that maybe you hadn't been before, which those people have a lot to contribute potentially as well. So why wouldn't you want them there? Um, Yeah. There's a couple more tactics that I thought were really interesting. So one was just creating a job completely from scratch. So it's like, basically, I would go to my manager and say, I want to work 25 hours a week instead of the 40 I'm working. And then we would think through, okay, so what job, what tasks are you doing today? What types of projects do you have? What kinds of activities are you doing? And then just put together the tasks that make the most sense for the number of hours you'll be working. So it's almost like an amalgamation of other tasks or, you know, maybe not, maybe your tasks you have to pull from a different job too, because you see, okay, well, we can get you to 20 hours a week. If we add these other tasks, then we're going to get you over that 25. So now let's pull something from a different job that needs to be done and make Mm -hmm. this kind of fun new job. Yeah. So I thought that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And then they also talked about cross training. So that's my favorite one. And I don't know if you've heard this type of job um, restructuring before Katina, but basically what it is, is they have people within a team and you cross train all of them on each other's jobs. So you spend, it's a, it's like a learning and development opportunity for everybody on the team and everyone's cross trained to help each other. So then they're there to help support when that reduced load worker isn't in town or isn't in the office, but then also that reduced load worker now 
Um, maybe sometimes they have a quiet time because they're on fewer projects than before or something like that. They can now help out their other team members when they show up. So now they're mm. a support to the rest of the team in addition to the, the work that they're doing. And then everybody gets an opportunity to help with each other's work and jobs. And obviously that's also really good because if someone goes on vacation or uh, unexpected leave or something happens, you now have all these people that can do all these other jobs um, together. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it also like what you're saying is it helps to build capacity as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So you've got, you know, more coverage and more flexibility in how you're creating schedules and um, just you're upskilling the workforce in general with regard to that role um, while also increasing probably people's happiness and satisfaction with being in the role itself uh, because they're feeling, you know, like you're actually taking their wants and needs into account. So it has some positive benefits for the company, but also I'm sure it has positive benefits for the employee as well. Right. And I think that there's, you know, as you're going through a change in a workforce where maybe this is the first person on your team that's in this reduced load position, and maybe you don't like some, you know, there's going to be some employees that don't feel great about that. They feel like weird that this person's doing this. Like, why are they doing this? And like, you know, not fully on board, all kinds of change like this takes time for people to adjust and mm-hmm. to understand. And I think if you're cross training each other to work everything and you're getting those le- learning and development opportunities, I think that kind of helps alleviate some of that, you know? Yeah. And then if that reduced load work person comes in and they help you on a project, you're just like, well, okay, like they're not here all the time, but they're still super helpful to the things that I'm doing because they right. know how to do the things I'm doing. So I think there's a lot of benefits to that approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, it sounds like it's really a win-win um, in this situation for companies, but uh, probably in areas that have been a little bit more behind in terms of thinking about work and family and work and life flexibly, um, it just seems like it's not something that has picked up enough steam. But mm-hmm. um, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily a real downside if the employees are benefiting and also you're you know able to kind of work together as a team to get things covered in a way that wasn't possible before. I agree. I think if you're if it's done well, it's going to have a lot of benefits for the employer and for the employees. I think the struggle is maintaining um, a career trajectory when you go mm-hmm. into reduced load job. And that is something that I talked about a lot. And there's a couple of different ways that you can approach it. But it's just making sure that you're not harming a person because they have this less like this lower load that they're not going to lose out on promotions or lose out on career growth because of it. So that's like the big downside that you see in reduced load work is that a lot of people's careers stifle, but that's Mm -hmm. because organizations are not set up properly for it. So they have three stages that they identified in creating a workplace where you can have this sustainable career approach where it's Mm -hmm. not just everybody comes in they work a lot of number of hours and no matter you know what position you're in so the first step is exploration then implementation and then embedding which makes sense right yeah so so if you're in a company that doesn't do this or you're not you're not sure if they're doing this but you haven't heard of it and you're interested in having a reduced load job then there's a couple things that need to happen. And, you know, honestly, it does come from the employee in some ways. So if you're mm-hmm. hopefully you have a manager you can speak to, but you have to come forward and 
say you want to do this, right? That's the first step because no one's going to assume you want a reduced load job um, without you saying so. Because not only are you going to be reducing your hours, but you're going to be reducing your pay because there is yeah. a there is a relationship there. It's not like you can get the exact same pay if you're working less because then that's there's a fairness component, et cetera. Sure, sure. So employees during the exploration stage need to speak to their managers, but the the three responsibilities that employees employees and managers have are to be open to the conversation, to agree that the job is possible to be redesigned, mm-hmm. and then to identify what way they're going to do that. How are they going to redesign it? So mm-hmm. employees need to be open and need to be able to have this conversation. Managers need to be open. I mean, it's even more critical for managers to be open to this conversation. Right. Um, to be able to think about how and be creative, be open, be able to have this conversation and try to move it forward. Yeah. I mean, it seems like the motivation piece uh, or the openness piece, like you said, would be more like, okay, we need to do some work to make sure that managers recognize that this could be beneficial, which might motivate the conversation. Like if the employee wants to have the conversation about it, then I mean, unless it's an organizationally, Uh, driven decision but it seems more likely that the employee would be the one driving it so like their motivation might be higher than the managers so part of like what might help could be you know creating a culture where managers recognize the importance or the value of this and then beyond Mm -hmm. that I would think it's probably important for both the employee and the manager to be willing to see each other's side of things because like Mm -hmm. the employee could come in and just be like I need it this way this is how it has to be etc and the manager might be willing to be flexible but maybe not in the exact way that the employee might have initially assumed or uh, the first idea that the employee had is like the idea that ends up being the best idea so I think on both sides probably that like conversation or that openness to dialogue and collaboration is probably important so that there's not like a perception that you're just like trying to get what you want without being flexible and working with the company's needs as well. Exactly. I think that's very critical. And they talk about that in the implementation stage in terms of how do you continue to job scope and make sure it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we move to that, the exploration stage, what you had talked about with the organizational side is exactly what they highlighted is that HR and leadership need to support it too. So, you know, oftentimes these changes come because an employee asked for it. If mm-hmm. HR is progressive in an organization or the leadership is, then they can start creating policies and creating culture that's open to this type of a thing. So, I mean, ideally that's where it's coming from, but that's usually not the case. Usually it's going to start with an employee speaking up and asking for it. But right. HR, leadership, anybody that's listening that's in those areas, um, think about how you can work this through in your own organization. So how can you create an openness to this as a culture. What kind of policies can you put in? What kind of eligibility, right? Maybe there's something that you can say that kind of sparks people's ideas around this. Cause maybe some people don't even, wouldn't even think that this is something they should do until they start to hear about it more and more. Um, and then HR needs to be also flexible in terms of how they cost a position. So that's something that's interesting because sometimes you, you hear FTE, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you that that term and you hear like headcount but like instead of thinking about headcount it's probably some sort of increments of labor not headcount it's not each person is worth x dollars it's we now have you know x hours and how do we price out those hours so it should be more of increments of labor and if you're able to cost out jobs that way then you're going to have a more flexible process to be able to do some of this job redesign mhm yeah that makes sense um 
I think, you know, it probably is imperative for the organization to demonstrate that they're committed to it and they find that these, uh, you know, conversations are important because otherwise it's like, okay, this is just like Patricia's thing as a manager or like this is just Katina's idea as an employee and it doesn't seem like something the manager should support or it doesn't seem like something that, you know, they should feel comfortable or that they would feel comfortable pushing for or maybe being as creative as they could because they don't have that backing. So it kind of has to also start from the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it has to be both things have to happen, right? You have to have the organization, the HR and leadership creating this culture of openness and letting it happen and making it happen. And then from the manager and employee level, the conversations need to happen and there needs to be openness in those conversations. So it kind of has to happen in both places in order to get this reduced load work moving, right? Stage one. Mm -hmm. When you get to stage two, the implementation is, um, I mean, it's always going to be challenging. There's always going to be some issues and things that need to be worked out. So from the employee and the manager perspective, you really need to keep that conversation open, right? It's all about communication, being sure that everything is working effectively. You know, um, they talk about job scoping to make sure you're preventing overwork because now let's say you're working 25 hours a week and then now you have this big thing that landed on your head from a client and you might have to work extra hours. Well, that goes against the whole point, right? You got a pay cut. Now you're working 40 hours because you have Mm -hmm. more work. Like you can't do that. So having to um, continue that conversation to proactively prevent any overwork, um, creating boundaries in terms of what works, what doesn't work, and how to just manage people's expectations. You need to manage clients' expectations, coworkers' expectations. Um, so there's a lot of continual communication as that change happens when, you, when you're when mm-hmm. looking at the employee and manager level. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and just making sure that you're, you know, continuously keeping track of how it's unfolding and making sure that it's a beneficial, like, positive experience for um, everybody so that you're not falling mm-hmm. into, like, a, a downward spiral of, like, oh, we thought this was a good idea, but now I'm upset with how it's unfolding or whatever when, like, a conversation could help to drive that and make it less uh, um, problematic. Exactly. So it's all about just keeping those communication lines open as you're implementing this process. Mm-hmm. And then from an organization perspective, so from leadership and HR, you know, their goal is to build momentum during implementation. So now this at least one person's doing this. If not more employees are getting on board with this, you want to start building that momentum. You want to encourage the expansion of it to new groups. So um, I think it's really important to just not have like, like you said, it's not just Patricia's thing as a manager, right? It's everybody's thing. So making sure that every group is a open to this idea and they're able to to use it if they need it right so trying to encourage that expansion and they also need to continue to create this culture where the business really emphasizes results versus FaceTime and I think mm-hmm. this has to this kind of comes back to like remote work too in a lot of ways um, because if you're focusing on making sure everyone's in their seats, doing the work, the certain amount of hours are supposed to be doing it, then you're losing that flexibility that actually can drive results even more. So thinking about results in terms of how you're talking about employees and their work, it's more about what they're doing, what they're contributing versus them physically being in the office for 40 hours a week. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I just think companies in general 
are really starting to think, even if it's not this kind of situation, more about deliverables focus and less about FaceTime focus. Like Mm -hmm. um, employees are really asking for it and finding the benefit, as we've talked about in like prior episodes as well, like that if I'm getting my work done, let me figure out how and when to do it. Because as long as it's on your desk or in your inbox, by the time we agreed upon Do you really care if I worked on it from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., or from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m.? You know what I mean? Like, it just Mm -hmm. doesn't – It. so I think that this is sort of uh, probably an extension of some of those broader conversations that are happening societally as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it all ties into this. Flexible work in general kind of ties into everything with this reduced load work too. Like, honestly, everything that we talk about in all these stages could be, you know, about – working remotely once a week you know like all of mm-hmm. these things kind of tie into the same thing so creating that flexibility overall um, yeah and the final stage they talk about is embedding and this is really kind of that final piece right where now it's sustainable careers are the goal of this organization um, more than one person is doing this reduced load work we're seeing a shift right so in this final stage Troubleshooting and communication is still really critical when you're looking at the employee and manager level. Um, but then those that started this process or maybe have been doing it for longer need to champion this approach, right? So we always know that people love stories. People love to hear like how something worked and somebody's individual story and why it matters. So being able to take their experience and sharing that with the organization more broadly can help champion the, the approach and the process in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when you're looking at the organization, so there's a couple of things, right? So they need, obviously the organization, HR leadership needs to highlight those stories. Um, but they also need to re-figure out how to handle HR policies. So this is important. And this is something that I think people will forget. And this is where I think the biggest risk is in making these careers not sustainable um, for the long term. Because if you don't think about some of these HR policies then you're going to fall into the traps of people not having the career development they want. So HR needs to really rework performance appraisal systems and reward systems. Mm -hmm. So people that are on a reduced load work should not be evaluated the same way as somebody that's a full-time employee. So that job is different. So the expectations are different. And so you need to be evaluating people on their specific job and the amount of hours they're supposed to be working and all of that. Um, and so those things are going to make, I think, the biggest impact of, across the entire organization because if those policies are not in place and people see that, oh, if the, all the people on reduced load work are not getting promotions and they're not moving in their career, then no one's going to want to do it. And then you're losing that that beautiful flexibility you can create. Yeah. Or also, like, I could see people being like, oh, well, you know, like, I emailed so-and-so on a Tuesday and I didn't hear from them until Thursday. But if they're an employee that's only supposed to be working Thursday and Friday or something like that, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like um, you can't, you have to make sure that people are having realistic expectations for how quickly people are going to get back to them, et cetera, in ways that affect that actually like are reflective of the job and that they're not letting things affect their judgments of that person that are actually unrelated to their performance, but might be related to a more traditional view of what they think their other employees should be doing, that they're like letting go of those more traditional assumptions. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I think that's the hardest part, right? Is I think going from stage one to stage two, so going from exploration to implementation is 
it's a big step to get the approvals and agreement that everybody is moving forward with this approach. But that seems like an easier jump than to go from now somebody's doing it to now we have a whole career approach within our organization Mm -hmm. on how to manage people with all these different types of careers and types of jobs and number of hours and different flexible schedules and whatever that looks like. So creating that like really truly embedded culture of sustainable careers Mm -hmm. is a lot harder. And I think that's where organizations, you know, the advanced organizations are going to thrive and really they're going to be the ones that will retain talent the longest, I think. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. People are really looking for organizations that can come up with non-traditional solutions to what is reflective of people's modern workplace scenarios and frankly scenarios that have been going on for a really long time but that people didn't realize that they could ask about or that companies weren't really recognizing the benefits of accommodating that now there's a broader conversation that's making it uh, better for employees to be able to find jobs that match and mesh with their life situations and for companies to be able to still you know reap the benefits of being affiliated with those employees. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, I think the takeaways from this article are, like I said, it's pretty, the steps are pretty clear. As an employee, it's important to be open to the conversation, to advocate for yourself, to talk to your leaders, and to have ideas as to how you'd redesign your job if this is something that you need, and also why you need it. Like, give them the why, give them the reason, give them, you know, talk to, like, if you have a, a good relationship with your leader, you know, explaining how this is going to help you be more productive in the workplace is going to help. Right. So, you know, if I'm able to, I don't know, go get my kids on time from, from school, then those last two hours, instead of me just worrying about it, I'm going to be, you know, my last two hours in the day might be, might be shorter day, but I'll be way more productive that entire time because I'm not concerned about these other things. Right. Right. So thinking how to position yourself as best as you can, as to why this is important and how it can actually help the company. Um, You know, I think already if you come to a manager and that's never heard of this idea and you say like, I want to work less hours because I have these other struggles, but I'm willing to take a pay cut. They're already going to take you more seriously. So like, don't try to ignore the pay cut piece um, so that they're understanding that you want to remain employed there. You want to do something great at this company and you're willing to sacrifice some of the things that you get in return in order to make this work. So I think that's really important. Yeah, that is totally reasonable. That makes total sense. Yeah. And then from a manager perspective, we already talked about this openness, being able to have those conversations, being flexible, um, being able to champion the ideas of these types of work relationships and work um, assignments. And then the same with HR and leadership. It's all about creating that change. And we know, you know, Every type of change an organization goes through needs champions, needs people to um, to give it a test and to talk about it and to share with others how it's working. And I think this is not like this is just like everything else. It's not any different. It's about creating that culture that's open to flexibility and um, allowing people to to test and you know you work through it. Right, the implementation phase is all about working through it and problem solving and figuring out how to adjust the job like don't expect you're going to get it right the first time and that's totally cool just keep iterating and keep the communication channels really open and um, it can create a very sustainable approach to work for the employees 
Yeah. And if you're a very senior level leader to be open to managers conversations with you about that and to role model that openness and flexibility in your own thinking so that people aren't feeling uh, like they can't approach you with these kinds of requests or they're not supported by the broader organization to do so. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So that's all the goodness I have from that article. <laughs> that's great. Um, no, this is really, really helpful. I'm really a big fan of structural changes as solutions to balancing work and life. It's really a lot of what we talk about are individual level solutions, which are also helpful because people can't always change the structure of their work. But I love when articles highlight something that actually changes the nature of the work that people are doing. It makes it so much easier for people to balance work and life when their job structure and the number of hours they're working actually allows for that as opposed to having all these hours to work and then trying to make everything fit around it. So I think mm-hmm. that that is awesome. Yeah. And it allows people to create the life and the work life that they, they want and they need. So, you know, some people are going to want to work full time and it's totally fine. It's not to say that everyone should do this, um, but it's really creating the structure for each individual um, in a way that works for them. And so that everybody can bring their whole selves to work and their whole selves to their personal life because they've created a sustainable, balanced career that makes sense for them. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I love it. Yay. Well, we'd love to hear from all of our listeners. If you've ever experienced anything like this or been a part of an organization that's done this, we definitely want to hear your stories and what that's been like. Um, If you haven't and you're interested in it and want to bounce ideas on how to talk to your manager, let us know. Or if you're going to go test it out now, let us know how how it went. We're very curious to see um, this change taking over the U.S. and the rest of the world, hopefully over time. Um, so you can always reach out to us. As I mentioned in the last episode, we have a new email address. You can find us at contact at workerbeing.com. Um, and we will, we'd love to see your emails, respond to you there. You can also find us on our website, workerbeing.com. And you can find us on social media at workerbeing on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And a final plug on our retreat, um, we're going to post the link to it in the show notes. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go ahead and check it out. And we also have a new Facebook group that we've been um, building a community there called the Worker Being Hive. So we'll put a link to that as well. Hope to see you all there. Bye. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.